Well, good morning once again. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 10 through 18. And this will be the last time, uh, at least for a while, that I'll come up here and say, turn to Ephesians, uh, because we'll be concluding our, our series on unity today. And we've spent, this will be uh, the 14th week that we'll have spent studying uh, unity. I didn't realize it was that many until I counted last night. Uh, but I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I would say this morning is bittersweet for me. Um, it, it's uh, sweet because we get to, to move into looking at Easter and, and the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's always a rich uh, topic. Uh, but, but I've really enjoyed looking at how that cross and that resurrection has allowed for unity among us and what that looks like for us. And so, you know, as, as we've traveled through this, uh, this book of Ephesians, which is about a lot more than unity, right? But it has a lot to say about unity. Um, we, we've looked at it from a bunch of different angles as we've been walking through. 14 different weeks of different angles. And so many different angles, in fact, that I wanted to use today uh, more or less as kind of a, a summary, kind of an, an overview of just the, the practical things that are going on with unity. And so I will read for you today's passages, uh, passage, and then we'll do a, a little bit of review, and then we'll, we'll look at today's passage. So if you want to read along with me, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And that, that is where we will end for today. That's God's word. Let's pray and ask God to, to bless this time and to, to open our minds to what he would have for us today. Father God, we have covered so much concerning unity over these past 13, 14 weeks. And God, I, I, I wonder how many of us have, have let this just bounce off us. We've maybe heard the information, but it has gone unapplied. And so I pray that in this, this flyover, this, this summary review of what you've taught us, Lord, that you would Put it in our hearts to, to actually follow through. God, open our eyes, because as we will see, this is something we desperately need. We need open eyes to, to reality, even spiritual reality. 
God, I pray all this in your son's name, trusting that you will do the work. Amen. So I wanted to, to begin just by uh, giving you point number one, uh, which is just something that has stuck out to me throughout these past 13 weeks that, that we've been going through this. And that point is this. Number one, unity is incredibly practical. Unity is incredibly practical. I mean, everywhere you turn in this book of Ephesians, you'll see these incredibly practical attitudes and actions and, and results even of what happens if we, we, we have this unity or if we do not have this unity. So unity is incredibly practical. Let me just show you a little bit of what I mean. Uh, as we began, we, we started this series in Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. And we see these actions and attitudes that, that would foster this unity uh, among believers. This is the unity Jesus has purchased, but is to be experienced between fellow Christians. Paul says there, just listen for the actions and attitudes, uh, verses 1 through 3. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk, that's practically walk, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So here we see, just in that little passage, that there's this practical humility that we need to have, this attitude of humility, this attitude of patience, of bearing with one another in love, and this eagerness to maintain unity. So that we have a kind of a mix of attitudes and actions there. Then if you go down uh, to, to verse 15, 4, 15, and 16, chapter 4, verse 15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, so there's this action that we need for this unity, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, that's practical, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we see there this practical speaking the truth in love, this building one another up in love as members of Christ's body, we build up one another, and that's incredibly practical. We see moving down, go to 426. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And so this is, uh, God, God has given us this capacity for anger, but we need to do the right thing with it. We see an injustice, but we need to give it to God. We need to turn it over to God. We need to apologize. We need to, uh, you know, talk to another person. We don't let the sun go down on our anger uh, because what happens if we, you know, just continue in this anger is anger takes root, it turns into bitterness, and it, and it destroys our souls. It's practical. Don't, don't hold on to anger. You've got to let it go. You've got to give it to God. 429, incredibly practical. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. I mean, it doesn't get much more practical than that. 
If it's not uh, a building up, a grace-filled thing you have to say, then don't say it. Don't let it come out of your mouth. Don't let these corrupting, uh, tearing down words come out of your mouth. Only what, what builds up, what only, only that gi- which gives grace. That's incredibly practical. And then we see uh, 431 and 32, and this will be the last little section that I'll look at. Just l- listen for these attitudes and these actions. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I mean, that's just so incredibly practical. Put away wrath and anger and malice and clamor and slander. Put on kindness, tenderheartedness, this, this desire to forgive one another, offering forgiveness, seeking to, to give that forgiveness to others when they do repent. This is all incredibly practical. And Paul even gave us, uh, if you think about it, a a kind of way of applying uh, these relational skills. You think about in uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. And we talked about how unity really begins in the household. In our families, it begins in the household. So Paul looks to marriage. Here is how a wife should relate to the husband. Here is how the husband should relate to the wife. And if you have the the marriage unified, it is much more likely that the family will be unified. And then he turns to children in chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, parents and children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. Uh, You know, you have this obedience. You have this honoring that the child is to do to the parent. But then you have on the other side, right, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's this relationship. If we're not angering our children, we're there to give them grace, to show them the grace of God, to, yes, instruct them about God, and, yes, even discipline them when they step out of the way. But there's this unity. There's this this grace-filled parenting and as we said, if there, is, uh, if there is unity in the family between the parents and the children, there will much, much, much more likely be unity outside the home. Because the person we become inside the home is the same person we are when we go outside of the home. And so it makes practical sense that we work on this unity within our families, these, these God-given relationships that have been put in our lives. So there we've seen practical attitudes and actions. We've seen the practical order of applying these relational skills. But Paul's also given us some practical results of of disunity or of unity. This was actually our our very first sermon on the, the topic, but I think it's really important that we remember this. We saw that if we have disunity, right? We have disunity it will keep us from growing spiritually. It will keep us from growing spiritually. We'll be in an environment that that will suppress our ability to grow and to mature in Christ. But on the other hand, if we do have maturity, it will create an environment that, that fosters this maturity, fosters this growth in Christ. Truthfully, a, a unified Christian uh, a body such as this one, is the perfect environment for a Christian to grow, to be, to be nurtured 
in their faith. Because it's not a, a culture of fear and bitterness and division. It's a culture of, let's, let's do this together. We're in the same fight. Let's love one another, build one another up. That's incredibly practical, right? We want to grow. We need to be unified. Another thing uh, that we looked at is a danger of disunity was that it would keep others from coming into the faith. I mean, what person, uh, when they, they hear about Christianity, then they look at it, and they see a bunch of fighting and division and, and you know, bitterness. Well, who's going to say, man, their God must really be powerful? <laughs> man, I, I want to be a part of that. Whatever they've got, I want it in my life. No one says that. And, and Jesus makes that, that very plain. They, they'll, number one, know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. But then he also says, you, they will know that God has sent me by the way that they love one another. But the opposite is true. We, we don't love one another, and it doesn't look like what Christ has said and what the gospel and the Bible teaches is true, and it puts a, an unnecessary stumbling block in front of people. It's just practical. That makes sense. And most importantly, on this practical side of things, disunity makes this God of glory, this God of power, look incredibly weak and boring and useless. I mean, really, if this God uh, can't change us, can't bring us together, can't make uh, us unified uh, as believers, then he must not be all that powerful. He must be kind of silly, kind of weak, you know, up there saying, oh, I wish my little grandchildren would get along, you know, like we might think of him as, as that way. But when the world sees believers getting along with one another, even when they annoy one another, even when they have different interests, even when they sin against one another, yet they still have unity. God is shown to be powerful, and God is shown to be glorious, because his, his, his work is shown in the life of the believer. There is fruit hanging from this believer that's been grafted in, and God gave the growth there's this, this supernatural power that shows God's glory, and that is incredibly practical. So we see that there's these practical attitudes and actions that we need to put on, and we can do it in a different order, you know, starting with the family, and that will result in practical results uh, by God's grace. So what I guess what I'm trying to say to you, and what I, I don't want us to forget, don't worry, this won't be where we end, is there really are practical things you can be doing in your life that will foster unity in your family, uh, among your friends, at your church. There really are practical things, and there really will be practical good fruits that will, will be the result of those practical attitudes and actions. That's true. I, I will not take that back, but we have to go further, don't we? Because as many of you know, and, and maybe even have been finding out during these past 14 weeks, is that when we simply try to do practical things, say, okay, I'm going to have these attitudes, I'm going to do these things, and we're doing that on our own power, it won't last very long. Sure, we might be able to be loving and forgiving and forbearing for a little while, but when, when things really get tense— when times really get tough, if we're doing it on our own strength, we will not be able to stand. Why is that? 
This is number two in your notes. This is the other truth we need to hold in tension. Unity is inseparably spiritual. Unity is inseparably spiritual. Yes, unity is incredibly practical. <laughs> you, you do practical things, you act practical ways, speak practical ways, and you have practical results. But we cannot forget that unity is inseparably spiritual. We cannot do it on our own. And we saw that, that in the text here, but I'll give you first just the spiritual problem. Uh, we started in verse 10, but we'll, we'll skip to verse 12. We need to see this spiritual problem that's going on here, why our efforts simply are not enough. It says there in verse 12, 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul, Paul's saying here that, that there is a, much more than a flesh and blood struggle going on. There is a spiritual struggle going on, an unseen struggle going on. Struggles that make things like the words not showing up on the screen happen. No, I'm kidding. That happened a little while ago. I'm sure you noticed. <laughs> um, but there, there really is. There's a deeper element. There's an unseen element. Now, this is an amazing statement coming from Paul, okay? He says there, uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So Paul's fight for godliness, Paul's fight for unity, Paul's fight for, for uh, usefulness for God, he's saying, isn't a battle, isn't uh, wrestling against flesh and blood. Well, that's a really interesting thing for Paul to say. Because Paul is a man who, who, who was very well acquainted with flesh and blood struggles. You know, like things that you could taste and touch and feel. Um, listen to this list. You don't have to go there. But 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29. He tells about his physical flesh and blood exper experiences. He says, I faced imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, Danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? So what he's saying there is, <laughs> these are the, the flesh and blood experiences I've had. I've, I've been beaten, literally, with rods, stoned, the, the 40 lashes minus one, five times. Th th these are all things he experienced from actual people. He said, from my own people, that's the Jews, from the Gentiles, that was the, the you know, the non-Jews. All these different people were going against him. That's flesh and blood. You might even remember uh, that he had some disunity issues with, with his own group, his own missionary crew, right? He was uh, going with Barnabas and uh, John Mark, 
who, who later wrote the book of Mark. But anyways, he, he's rolling with them. And I'll just read it to you, Acts 15, 36 through 39. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take, take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. It says this, And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. This, this is a flesh and blood experience. Here's another person. Uh, we, we disagree on whether or not we should take John Mark. And so Barnabas, the, the son of encouragement, is now uh, opposed to Paul. And so they actually end up going a se their separate ways. He, he faced this uh, flesh and blood uh, disunity even among his missionary friends. And you can think about the, the Corinthian church. If you read through uh, God's word, you see that the Corinthian church had all sorts of people that were against him because false teachers had come in and turned them against him. The same was true for the Galatian church. These were flesh and blood people who were now against Paul. So if anyone, if anyone on this planet knew that, that there was a flesh and blood practical aspect to disunity and to godliness and God's word going forward, it was Paul. Paul knew these things very well. But this same Paul says there, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's not talking about heaven that you might think of up there, you know, where God resides. That's talking about ethereal rather than material there is a spiritual world, a spiritual conflict going on, and that's what Paul is pointing out. Behind our, our growth in godliness or lack of godliness, there is a spiritual conflict going on. Behind our unity or our disunity, there is a spiritual conflict going on. There is a spiritual enemy, a spiritual foe, namely Satan and his demons. I think this is incredibly important for us to understand as we seek unity with one another. Uh, because at, at one level, we need to understand who our enemy is, right? I remember one of the more uh, helpful things I ever heard was in a, a Bible study a long time ago on marriage. Oh, I don't, it might have been Francis Chan or something like that. And, and he said, you need to realize that your, your spouse is not your enemy. It, it's Satan that's your enemy. If, if you're you know, in an argument and you're fighting against your spouse, you're fighting the wrong person. Because what you need to do when you're in that argument against your spouse is, is turn to, to God and have him help you fight Satan, because he is the true enemy. I mean, but this works out in all different ways. The, the, the real threat to you is not your current situation. The, the stress you're under how, how hard life is, maybe the pain you feel, the fatigue you feel, those are not your greatest threat. And, and the people around you, your children, your spouse, the other people at church, those are not your enemy. It is Satan. Because you think about it, Satan desperately wants to mess up your family. He, he wants to put conflict 
in there. Remember that the, one of the greatest places to, to foster unity is in the family? Satan wants to mess that up. Satan wants to tear down your Christian relationships. He wants to tear down relationships in this church and in every church that names the name of Christ. Why? Because it keeps people from getting saved, it puts a stumbling block in front of them, and it makes God look weak rather than glorious. Satan loves that. Satan loves to distract us by disunity. He wants to keep us from growing. There's all these reasons Satan wants to mess us up. And so we need to realize that that's the true battle. Yes, we still toil against our flesh, right? The, the, the old man is dead, but he's still present, and, and he still tempts me. I still live in this corrupt world, yes, that, that tempts me and wants to push me away from God. But Satan is the one who is exploiting those things. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess you could see, say your true greatest enemy is, is the, the remaining sin in you, but Satan's the one pressing those buttons. Uh, we, we can't say the devil made me do it, because it is, it is us uh, that still commits the sin. It is us that gives in to temptation. But Satan is loving it. He loves to push us into sin and away from one another. So, unity is incredibly practical, but unity is inseparably spiritual. We have a foe, Satan, who uh, we saw even in Genesis uh, that he was the, what does it say? He was the craftiest of all the beasts of the field. He, this was a, a crafty one. What that means is, uh, even as we see how he works uh, through Scripture, is you're not going to outsmart Satan. You're not going to overpower Satan. You do not have the strength in and of yourself. You will not just simply use your willpower to do and to be the things you need to do because Satan will rage war against that. And so, basically we see in verse 10 and 11 a summary of what we need to do. We read the problem in verse 12, so I kind of skipped ahead. But verse 10 and 11 give us a summary of what we really need to do. If we really recognize there's a spiritual battle, this is what we need. Verses 10 and 11, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not in yourself. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. That's what we need. Yes, it is practical. Yes, we really need to, to work these things out in our lives in practical ways. But we need to recognize there's a spiritual battle going on. And we need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We need to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan really does want to mess things up. He's a defeated foe. I get that. He's defeated, but he's still got some leash right now in this time to, to, to make things bad for you, to rob you of joy, to make God look less glorious. And he really, really is powerful. But we have the Lord and his strength. 1 John 4, 4 explicitly says, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So I'm not telling you these things to make you hopeless and to say, oh, oh no, I'm terrified because there's nothing I can do about this. No, he who is in you is greater than he who is in 
the world. Christ really can uh, make us strong. I'm looking for a verse right now in, in my Bible. I can't remember exactly where it was. Anyways, Christ and his power. This is, this is where I'm, I'm wanting to land, and I, I might look a little bit at, at what the different armors are, the different pieces of armor, but there is a, a power in Christ, a, a, a wellspring of strength to fight against the schemes of the devil, even to fight against our own flesh and to fight against the temptations of this world that is found in Christ and especially in the cross of Christ. There is a, a strength that we do not have otherwise. I've heard uh, it said, I think it's uh, Piper who says it this way. He says, you know, we, we come into a fight against a tank with a, with a pea shooter, right? We, we try to use our own strength, our, our own flesh, when we don't realize that we got a walkie-talkie that can call in a, a flight to drop some bombs on that thing. And too many of us live in failure. Too many of us live uh, without growing to the, the potential God has for us. Too many of us live unuseful lives for the glory of God because we live merely physical lives for the most part. We don't recognize the spiritual. And we don't recognize that we need to be strengthened in the Lord and to put on His armor. So all of these pieces of armor I want to show you I can't do much with these because of time, but I want to give you just a taste of what it looks like uh, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. What does that look like practically? Because again, these are practical things even, uh, even though they be spiritual. So let, let's look at what these are. He says, Stand therefore, verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I, I don't have time to go through this uh, entirely, but if you look at the roots of where Paul is drawing this from, the, the imagery he's drawing this from is uh, in the Old Testament, it talks about girding up your loins, your, your, the, the, the loincloths. And, and what this is talking about, the belt of truth, was this idea is people went into battle and, when, and they'd be wearing a robe. That was their normal clothing, was, was a robe. But when they'd go into battle, they'd, they'd put on this belt and they would pick up the edges of their, their robe and tuck it through their belt so that they could move around and they wouldn't get tripped up on their, their robe, their tunic. And so that's what this belt of truth is. It is um, a true commitment to God. It is a personal... I'm trying to think of the, the best way to say it. It is a, a commitment that I am in this fight with you, God. This isn't talking about just salvation. This is talking about recognizing, okay, I'm in a battle, right? So I need to put on my belt, and I need to get ready for action. It's a—Satan wants nothing more for you than for you to be half-hearted. You know, if, if you're saved, that's done. Christ has worked in your heart. He's changed you. But he still wants you to be half-hearted in your commitment to him. Why? Because half-hearted people give up. Half-hearted people give in when the going gets tough. But what God is telling us is, 
we, we know from God's word, we know from God's work in our lives and in this world that we have every reason to trust him. We have every reason to be committed to him. And we see that most especially because of the cross of Christ, that we can be committed to him in the same way he was committed to us. And so because of that, we should put on the belt of truth that says, God, I am all in. Becoming a Christian uh, and living the Christian life isn't a cakewalk, right? Jesus said, in this life you will face tribulation. Those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will face tribulation. These are realities, but we say, that's all right. That's all right. I'm committed. I'll get ready. I'll put on this belt of truth that says, no more stepping out when, when things get tough. No more giving in to sin. Just because... It's enticing. And that kind of leads us into the next piece of armor. You have the, the belt of truth, this commitment, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So you have commitment, and now this breastplate of righteousness. What this is, is, is not necessarily talking about Christ's imputed righteousness on us. We, we already have that if we are a Christian. We already have Christ's righteousness on us. On us. What this is talking about is as armor against Satan, we put on practical righteousness. Do you realize that, that when you have sin, ongoing sin in your life, you're giving opportunity to the devil? Absolutely. That, that was, uh, I think, uh, 429 maybe. It says, uh, Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not 29. Um, then 20, 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. By, by having this sin of lasting anger, you're, you're giving opportunity to the devil. And we see that many other times in the Bible, that, that sexual immorality or, or this, this greed, all these things are opportunities for Satan to, to say, boom, I'm in. I got my foot in the door, and I'm going to mess with your life because of this sin. And that's why Paul says, put on this breastplate of righteousness. You know what will guard you? Is to repent and turn from your sin in a practical way. To not just say, oh, I'm righteous in Christ, so I'm okay. Say, no, no, I'm righteous in Christ, so now I'm going to live a righteous life. And I'm going to give no opportunity to the devil. And you think, well, how does Christ apply to that? How, how, how is he the one supplying that? Christ Jesus is the one who broke the chains of sin in your life. You were a slave to sin, but because of his death, burial, resurrection, he has broken those chains of sin. You can present yourself as an instrument of righteousness. You can. And kind of, a, again, in that same stream, he says in, in the very next verse, "...and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness..." given by the gospel of peace. This one's even more confusing than the last two, but I'll try to explain it this way. You have been given the gospel of peace. You now have peace with God. And that not only frees you from, from bondage to sin, it frees you to go do and be what God wants you to be. There's this, this readiness. It says, as, in, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I've said this many times before, but I believe one of the reasons that many of us don't grow in Christ is that we don't get on God's mission. 
We might keep from sin. Oh no, I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. But then we just, we stand still. We're a sitting duck for Satan is the way I like to put it. Fish in a barrel. You know, we're, we're just ready for him to, to pick us off because we're not moving. We don't have this readiness with the gospel of peace. We're not going out to share the gospel. We're not going out to show the love of Christ. And we're sitting ducks. And so he's saying here, as shoes for your feet, to protect your feet, put on this readiness given by the gospel of peace. Right? You got the belt of truth on. You recognize that you're in this battle. You're fully committed. You're, you're, you're putting on righteousness, saying no to sin. I'm not giving Satan a foothold. And then we say, you know what, God? Now I want to hear what marching orders you have for me. I'm putting on the shoes of the, God, the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I want to do something for you. I don't want to just be standing around waiting for Satan uh, to, to pick me off. Number four, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. I haven't been telling you guys numbers, but I have them numbered in mine. Uh, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Isn't that crazy imagery of the battle we're in? That Satan is hurling darts at us. He's, he's shooting arrows at us. What, what are those arrows? Well, those arrows are temptations. Those arrows are lies. I mean, we saw this in the garden. That was a great example. Adam, uh, Eve, rather, uh, in the garden. He says, oh, oh you, you won't die if you eat that, that um, fruit. You won't die if you eat that. It'll actually be good for you. You'll, you'll gain this knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like God. There's this temptation. There are these lies. And that's what Satan wants to do to us. Satan wants to say, oh, it's no big deal that you're mean to that person. You know, you don't have to serve your wife tonight, husband. You've worked hard all day. It's okay. You know, you, you deserve it. Hey, you don't deserve for people to talk to you like that. You should tell them uh, where they, what place they should be in. And, you know, you can go ahead and scream at your kid. It'll feel good to get it off your chest. It's okay. Just do Satan lies to us. We take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We fight lies and temptations with truth and better uh, satisfaction. We say no. It, it's not okay for me to do those things. It, it, it's not going to be better for me to go against Christ. It's not going to be better for me to disobey God We'll pick that one back up here in a moment because it kind of combines. But the next we see is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. This I see again, not as salvation. Paul is talking to saved people, but this helmet of salvation is an assurance of salvation. An assurance that you will one day cross the finish line of your life and things will be really, really, really good for you. That yes, you may toil and struggle now. Yes, you may have uh, people that are difficult in your life now, but you can have unity now because there's a finish line. You know, uh, a lot of you know that I, I run a lot and uh, races, you're pretty much going all out. Um, but what if you entered a race that they said, hey, there's no finish line. You know, you just, you just got to keep going and there, there is no winning and no losing. How hard are you going to push in that race? <laughs> not very hard. I'm going to tap out pretty quickly, although I run without it being a race. But anyways, you, you, you know, you get the idea. 
But we, with the helmet of salvation, we know that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. We know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a finish line. There is a crown uh, that will be given to us. You know, the, the finisher's crown, the winner's crown that will be given to us. And that gives us the strength to go on. And Christ Jesus purchased that crown, that salvation, that hope. We see further on, again, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm only giving you a taste of these things. He, say, he says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. I personally see the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer as, as working very much in tandem with one another. Okay? You think about, you've got the, these flaming darts uh, that are coming from the evil one, from Satan, and you put up the shield. You say, say no, I, 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 don't, I don't want that temptation. No, it won't be better to do what you say rather than what Christ says. We put up that shield and we immediately block those, uh, those fiery darts. But then what we need to do is take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we cut those lies down. We we, we scare Satan away, I suppose you could say, with the word of God. What does that look like? That looks like things like uh, just one of my favorite verses that I, I use is Jesus says, I tell you these things, speaking of commands, I tell you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And so in that moment, I could say, you know what, Satan, here's my sword. Jesus says that by obeying him, his joy will be in me and my joy will be full. I want that, not this cheap little happiness, this cheap little pleasure you've got for me. That's what I want. We fight it with the word of God. And we not only fight it with the word of God that we've, you know, stored in our hearts that we might not sin against him. We not only fight it with God's word, but we fight it with prayer. It says there, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. I love that it ties together uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with this prayer in the Spirit. There is nothing more powerful that we could pray than God's Word. There, there's nothing uh, more powerful that, that we could use against the schemes of Satan than God's Word coupled with God's power in prayer. So you think about it, you say, God, I'm tempted right now. I've extinguished these flaming darts for the moment, but I need to cut these lies down. So God, help me to believe that, that sin will only lead to death, but that following your spirit will lead to life and peace. Help me to believe that by obedience your joy will be in me and my joy will be full. Help me to believe this. Help me not to give in to these lies. Help me to stand firm. Based on what your son has done, help me to stand firm. And I believe we, we see from Jesus all the time that what you ask in prayer, in, in, in his will, will be given to you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you, Jesus said. But yet, so many of us don't stand firm. We, we give in when the going gets tough. We give in to, to, to patterns and attitudes of disunity. It's because we aren't seeing that it's a spiritual battle. We're not putting on the, the, the spiritual armor that we need, this power that comes from the Lord. 
basically what we have here is uh, it's a uh, second Peter I think chapter 1 verse 3 says uh, for he has granted to you to us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him he has granted to you everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him and so what we understand is yes we have all the power we could ever need in God at the moment of salvation but what we need to do is is put on this power that he's given us put on these resources put on this armor so that we can do battle there's an actual fight to be fought i realize that this is um kind of kind of seems contradictory at times he's given us everything we need he's given us everything but then now we need to do this but we recognize we recognize that that even these things that we need to do are, are trusting in the lord I trust that I can commit to you. I trust that you've broken the chains of sin and I can have righteousness. I, I trust uh, that, that your word is true and I don't want these sins. It's all still trusting in Jesus. And from that flow these practical actions and practical attitudes that make for unity. So what do we do with this? We recognize that growing spiritually and, and even growing in unity is much more than trying to muscle our way through the Christian life. It's about being strong in the Lord and the power and the strength of His might. We need to recognize that, that obeying God and having this unity is a lot more than a list of rules you try to keep. It's a, it's a person that we look to, Jesus Christ. We need to recognize that it's not looking to our own resources, our own strength, but putting on the whole armor of God that he has provided us. So let me ask you, when you're dealing with sin, when you're dealing with disunity, where do, where do you turn? Where do you run? Do you say, okay, I'm not going to do that again, I'm not going to do that again? Or do you say, God, I'm weak, but I need you to make me strong? God, I'm fully committed in this life. I want actual righteousness in my life. I want to be active for you. But I need you to help me through this. I need to, to, to recall your word, to block these darts, to, to, to fight Satan with it. That's where we have to turn. We do not turn to ourselves, our own resources. That is proud. <laughs> that is self-righteous. To turn to ourselves but there is power in the Lord. And that power comes because Christ has lived, has died for our sins, and risen again, breaking the, these chains of sin and death that we were bound to. You know, I was thinking about this. This really is a good thing that we don't just rely on our own strength. This is really a good thing. Uh, because if we're relying on, on our own strength— we can expect our, our own proportion of results. We can expect our own uh, proportion of, of power. But when we are relying on God's strength, we, we can expect supernatural proportions. We can expect supernatural impact that we could have never even believed in the first place. It is a good thing that we rely on the Lord and His power rather than our own. So where are you at? 
Who do you turn to? What do you turn to when you're struggling? Do you get comfortable and complacent? Or are you continually putting on the armor of God? It's all very practical. But the power really comes in Christ. Let's pray and